sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. One of the greatest things that Jesus commanded his friends and followers to do was to demonstrate who he was by offering a radical love to the world. And that love is something that is beyond ourselves. It is something that absolutely comes from who he is. And uh, we don't always do that the right way. We don't always do that well, but we're endeavoring to do that by his help and by his strength and by his grace. And we're just honored and delighted that you're here with us today. See many new faces that I haven't met before. Uh, My name is Jay Duncan. I've been here in Colorado Springs for 15 years, been a part of this church for 15 years and in the senior capacity for 10. And uh, just great, great to have you guys with us. Uh, Obviously, services are a little bit different in this hour, but uh, we're going to get through this. And we won't always be in this space prayerfully and hopefully. Well, if you have your Bibles today, family, I want to invite you to pull those out or your phone. If you don't have a Bible today, no worries. We're going to put these scriptures on the screen for you to follow along with. And for those of you guys who were not with us last week, uh, we had an installment in our series that essentially talked about what the essence or the heart of what it means to be a Christian is, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And uh, I, I felt led, I felt inspired to go back to what seems like a pretty foundational or basic message because, guys, there are there's so many convoluted ideas, even amongst the Christian populace that are going on right now, that can be very polarizing and can be very divisive. And if we're not careful, uh, we can lose our witness to our ideas. <laughs> we can lose our witness to our opinions. We can lose our, our witness to our political perspectives and positions. And anytime we allow those things to become superior to who Christ is and what it means to be followers of Jesus, I think our witness is in jeopardy. And so one of the things we talked about last week, very, very simply, is the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to love our brother and sister, those that are in the family of God, bound together by a common faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, his sacrificial death, and it is a resurrection from the dead. Number two, that we love our neighbors. So those who aren't necessarily in the family of God, those who wouldn't be known as followers of Jesus, but those who are on the journey with us, those who are in this space. Jesus defines our neighbor as this, anyone who is in need that is in our proximity. That is your neighbor. And then number three, Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And you'll find that, that perhaps one of the greatest distinctions or one of the greatest distinctives of what it means to be a follower of Christ is that we don't only love those people who are like us, we love people who are adamantly opposed to us. We love our persecutors. We love those who are threatening our lives. We love those who believe differently than us, those who disagree with us. And I'm telling you today that that can only happen by the supernatural grace and power that comes from God living on the inside, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us by virtue of our belief in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So today, I want to just take this a step further. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. We began this journey several weeks ago uh, with this premise that authentic friendship is a way forward in these difficult times. 
And that we as followers of Christ, we as Christians, are best poised to engage in genuine and authentic friendship with people who are in the church and people who are not in the church, those people who are in the world. And we've, we've talked about numerous things. When we started this uh, series several weeks ago, we talked about this idea of building bridges and breaking down barriers. And this story here in John chapter 4, I think, is the epitome of what it means to break down barriers and to build bridges. But I want to frame this message today under this context, under this banner. And the banner is this, guys, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the Christian faith or scriptures, uh, the scriptures were written hundreds and thousands of years ago. And it was written to an agrarian, am I even saying agrarian society, right? So it was written to people that were farmers and people that dealt with cattle and livestock. So the idea of uh, growing things from the earth was one of the predominant metaphors, uh, not just metaphors, but it was their way of life. And so in a lot of the scriptures, you'll see these, these farming metaphors and these farming analogies that talk about uh, what the kingdom of God is like, and they'll use these farming metaphors. And Jesus actually draws this parallel. He talks about the heart um, being ready for harvest, almost like the heart being cultivated and tended and, and the soil of our heart needing to have attention to be cultivated so that the seed of eternal life will spring up inside of us. And we'll see that metaphor here in John chapter 4. And so when you hear me say that the harvest is ready, essentially what I'm saying is that right now in 2020, in July of 2020, I believe by the Spirit and by the Word of God, I believe that the hearts of humanity are more open to God than any of us can ever realize. And I think, you know, if we just, if we, if we, if we take our primary cues from the media or social media, we might, we might retreat and say, no, man, people are more hardened than ever before. But friends, I, I want to submit to you that deep in the resources of people's hearts, I believe that there are people who are looking for truth. And there are people that are wanting pure and authentic gospel witness in this hour more than ever before. We need that more than ever before. So let's take a look at this story in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Let's talk here through these first few verses. Um, one of the things that's important, I think, geographically for us to understand when we talk about Samaria, and Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he was in one particular location. Uh, Samaria was located right between Jerusalem and, and, uh, and Galilee. And so Jesus was an itinerant minister. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was essentially just traveling through this region. And as he was traveling through this region, going from town to town, he was preaching and teaching about the nature of the kingdom. Jesus, being the Son of God, was come to the earth to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. 
This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is who God really is. I know that you guys have developed certain ideas about who God is, but God has commissioned me and sent me as his son directly from him to let you know this, this is who God is. Uh, don't believe the lies. This is who God is. And so Jesus is on this, this circular uh, itinerary going from town to town, revealing who God is. Now, the thing about Samaria that many of us may not understand is that Samaritans and Jews were actually hostile to one another. Geographically, Samaria was, it would, it would it'd be like going from Colorado Springs to Denver and you got to go through Castle Rock. So there, you know, it's like, okay, now you, you can go around Castle Rock, right? You can take 83, uh, you can go through the mountains if you want, you can hit Larkspur and go around. But uh, Jesus here knows that he's got to get from Jerusalem to Galilee and uh, he goes through Samaria. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews were at odds with each other. They were at odds with each other religiously. They were at odds with each other culturally. They were at odds with each other racially. Uh, there was a lot of cultural hostility and, uh, and, and defensiveness one with another. And we're not going to get into all the history of that, but just suffice it to say that they weren't on the best relational terms. Now, look at this verse right here, if you would, in John chapter 4, verse 4. Scripture says he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. In all the years that I've read the scriptures, I've always read that circumstantially. Like, uh, he, you know, in order, for, in order for us to go to, from, from Colorado Springs to Denver, you have to go through Castle Rock. Well, it's not necessarily true. You don't have to go through Castle Rock. You can go around Castle Rock. And in fact, most of the routes that Jews took, took them around Samaria. They would not go through Samaria. So when we look at this and we say that he had to go through Samaria, this is not circumstantial. The word here that's used is actually a fascinating word in the Greek, in the original language. And the word here speaks about this divine must. He had to go. In other words, he was compelled by God to go through Samaria. Another way to look at this is uh, he was being led by the Spirit of God to go through Samaria. He was on his normal ministry itinerary, and God was saying, Son, I need you to go through Samaria. Son, there's something that I'm doing in Samaria that I need you to be a part of. Son, I've set some things up in Samaria. I want you to be on the lookout because there, there's a harvest that's waiting for you in Samaria. I know that there's not a lot of people that have gone to Samaria before. I know that there's a lot of uh, difficulty that's happening relationally. But son, I want you to know that if you'll press into that and if you'll work through that, I want you to know that if you won't be governed by the difficulties and the differences that are happening racially and culturally, son, there's actually some opportunities that are waiting for you in Samaria. Harvest is ready for you in Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. It was not negotiable. He had to go through Samaria. Look with me if you would. Just hold your spot in John. That's going to be our base camp today, but go with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke is another one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, the first four books written in the New Testament. And all of these Gospels speak of the story of the life of Jesus from four different vantage points. So in Luke's vantage point, we have this story where Jesus is beginning his ministry. And look with me, if you would, at John chapter 4, verse 39. I'm sorry, Luke, 
Luke chapter 4, verse 39. Verse 40, verse 40. So at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness. And laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Now just stop and think about this. Jesus comes on the scene and people who are sick, anybody who comes into contact with Jesus, they're healed. Like Matthew's version, Matthew says that people of all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses and diseases. Now Matthew is covering the entire gamut of physical condition. He's saying if there was somebody who had a physical malady and they came in contact with Jesus, Jesus healed them as a demonstration that the kingdom of God is now here in the earth through the person of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. It's one of the reasons why Jesus came to the earth, to bring the kingdom of God and to demonstrate that there is now a new kingdom that is at hand. So look at what happens right here. I mean, in Christian terms, we would say this is a revival. We would say this is an awakening that is breaking out. Man, we want to see this and we long to see this. We long to see the power of God demonstrated and manifested in the earth in this manner. Now, verse 42, at daybreak, some translations say before the sun rose. This was, this was a normal habit for Jesus. He went out to a solitary place. He was by himself and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. That makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, you guys have a traveling evangelist that comes into your city and every sick person is being healed. Imagine about that in our hour today, right? No more masks because Jesus is on the scene healing every single person who's sick. Yes, yes, Lord, let it be, right? And so they're saying, Jesus, you can't leave. We need you. you we need you to stay here. We need you to stay here for the entirety of your ministry. Look at what Jesus' response is. I love this. Verse 43, he said, I, here's our word again, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. See, when you start tapping into your purpose, right, this is why I was sent. I was sent for this reason. Then you start tapping into, what must I do? Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, a lot of people that I've talked to, and I've experienced some of this myself. This is just my humanity on display here. But something happened around the beginning of March. And when all of the churches began to be shut down and we entered into the space that we'd never been before, and there was a deluge on social media and you're just being overcome and the atmosphere just feels so heavy. I mean, there were days and sometimes week where, weeks where it was like, I was like so disoriented. It's like I had to find my way, right? What's my divine must? What is the thing that I must give myself to? And listen, listen, we have so, we live in an age of distraction. We live in an age, technology is one of the greatest gifts to humanity and it's one of the potentially greatest curses to humanity because if you wanna give your time away fruitlessly to something, these are little things called smartphones and computers and TV screens and Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Snapchat and TikTok and Vi I mean like we have, a, we have a barrage of things I'll say, I'll take your time, I'll take your time, I'll take your time. 
I will take your time and at the end of it, I will leave you so empty and so hollow because the time that you, tra that you traded your time and you got nothing from it in return. Nothing, nothing from it in return, right? What is your divine must in this hour? You know how you navigate polarizing moments in life? You know how to, you navigate this, this vacuous season of ambiguity and disorientation? You've got to find what your divine must is. What is it today that you must do? Uh, you know, we're entering into a new week. What is it this week that you must do? I mean, just, just practically, guys, like Christianity aside, I mean, like, you know, if I wanted to be a success motivational speaker, this would be a great motivational talk, right? I mean, this isn't anything that Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey and, and these people, they understand this. Like you wake up, have a purpose, have a mission, build your disciplines around it, find out what's the most important thing, give yourself to it. But the thing that separates us is that there is, there is a divine must. There is a divine must. There are these marching orders that come from the very heart of God himself. He knows there are things that are happening around you that you're not aware of. So every day it's God, what are you leading me into today? Today, I've got to give a little bit more attention to my marriage. Today, I've got to give a little bit more attention to my children. Today, I've got to give a little bit more attention to my health. Today, I've got to, I've got to go out of my way on my way home because there's, I don't even know where it is that you're leading me, but I've got to, I just feel drawn to go into this particular grocery store when I usually go over here to Safeway, but I just feel like I'm being led to go over here to King Supers today. And before you know it, there's somebody that you're interacting with, which leads to a conversation, which leads to a relationship, which leads to a change of heart and mind that affects people's entire family lines. There might be somebody that you end up praying with on the side of the street that you weren't expecting that when you woke up, when you wrote out your top 10 list for that week. And God, where are you in this space? We've got to leave room for God to say, um, there's things that I have for you to do. Jesus, every morning he woke up and he was saying, God, God, where, where are you nudging me towards? What is my divine must? Your divine must is connected to the purpose of God for your life. And if, if we're gonna live with harvest lenses, if we're gonna live understanding that harvest is now, that we're in the time of harvest, and here's the thing about harvest, that if you're not tending to harvest in harvest season, you will lose harvest. You'll lose it. And then the harvest season will be gone. And you'll look back and you'll say, what, what did I do in my season of harvest? Well, I binge watched. Man, I really got, I got nine seasons of the office in during my harvest season. What did you, what did you reap during harvest season? Your divine must will connect you to divine purpose for a divine hour. We are in a divine hour. We are in a divine hour, and I personally believe that the enemy would love nothing more than to lull us to sleep so that we trade our opportunities for fruitless living, which result in regret. Number two, there is an empowerment for harvest season. There is a divine strength, and this is what I believe more than anything, guys. We need to tap into this. We need to tap into this. Um, I don't want to get too weird. I'll, I'll just be, I'll say a little weird, but I don't want to get too weird. 
But I mean, guys, just practically, people that I've talked to, and again, this isn't everybody, but it is certain people, but I've talked with certain people, and they say, I don't know what it is. I just feel more tired in this season than I've ever felt before. Guys, you have to understand that when we are bombarding airwaves with with tension and fear, and we're bombarding airwaves, you got to pay attention to your, your media diet. You have to pay attention to what you're feeding your mind and your soul and your emotions on because they have a direct correlation to even what's happening in your body. I think a lot of us are are feeling so fatigued and so exhausted because the atmosphere is heavy. The atmosphere in our homes and our cities, the atmosphere uh, in our nation, the atmosphere globally, it's heavy. I have this app on my phone. I'm thinking about taking it off. It's this news break app. And literally like every five minutes, it's just bombarding me with these notifications. And every notification is someone died right here. There was a crash right here. There was a carjacking here. There was a robbery right here. There's like, oh my God, if you just, that's your diet. Even from a headline standpoint, if that's your diet, 30 to 40 times a day and there's no scripture no prayer no prayer in the spirit no encouragement no life no worship no praise and worship what's going to happen to you over a course of weeks and months you're going to get heavy you're going to get depressed you're going to get frustrated you're going to get anxious because the atmosphere around us is heavy but there is a strength there is a strength Isn't it interesting? I love the fact that the gospel writers put Jesus's humanity on display. I mean, here we are. This is the son of God. This is the source of all strength and the source of all life who right here in John chapter four, look with me again, if you would, at John chapter four, I believe it's in verse seven where Jesus is on his journey. He's traveling through Samaria and the scripture says in verse six, Jacob's well was there. Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Guys, it's okay to be tired. It's not only okay, it's, it's expected. And if, and if we are about the Father's business, if we're working and if we're laboring vocationally and if we're living our lives purposefully with intention, you're going to get tired. Part of what it means to be a human being is that we have limitation. We're not God. We don't live... Uh, unlimited lives with unlimited resources. We are limited beings. We get tired. And Jesus was tired because he was fully God, but he was also fully 100% humanity. And Jesus got tired. But there is a grace and that there is a strength. Uh, I'd, I'd put it like this. There's, a, there's an empowerment to live in harvest time. There's an empowerment for the mission that's at hand. There's there's an empowerment that comes from God, that is by God, that empowers you for your divine must. You You hear me today? There is an empowerment. How many of you have ever been in a place where you're tired, you're fatigued, and uh, you've committed yourself to a workout regimen, and you said, "I've, I've committed to this, and I wanna do this. I wanna jump on the treadmill, I wanna go to the gym, but man, there's that moment where maybe you kind of lay down on the bed for a little bit. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to just take a load off here for a few minutes, right? And then you go through this battle. It's always a mental battle. It's always a will battle. And then either side of the equation, let's go with scenario one. Let's go with scenario one where you, where you actually push yourself through. 
and you throw the gym shoes on, you go for a walk, you hit the gym, whatever it is that you do. And on the other side of that, you're like, oh, I'm so glad that I did that, right? And then actually, when you did that, you find that you're actually more energized and more refreshed and more strengthened than you were before. You ever been there before? And then you've been on the other side where maybe you didn't do it. And then you found that you just kind of like just drowned in that rabbit hole of fatigue. And then you look back and you go, God, I just wish I would have powered through and made the decision because I've touched that place of empowerment before. Guys, I'm telling you, when you're living on mission with God, when you're, when you're pursuing that divine must, human fatigue is real. Mental fatigue and emotional fatigue are real. But I'm here to tell you that there are resources that are from God that are available to you for the divine mission that are at hand. Uh, look at the end of this story. We're going to be like, we're going to be jumping forward and jumping back in this story. But Jesus ends up having a conversation with this gal. His disciples all go grab food in town. So Jesus is end up alone with this lady and he's having this holy conversation with her. And then they end up, they come back to him and look right here at the, at, at the end of the story, John chapter four. Uh, let's, let's pick this up right here at, uh, at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, it's noon. He's tired. He's probably been up since four or five in the morning. They've been traveling. He's, 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 uh, he's hungry. His disciples go into town to go grab food. They come back, right? They got the brown bag in their hand. They're like, okay, let's go. It's lunchtime. And look what Jesus says. Verse 32, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, could someone else have brought him food? <laughs> my food, my sustenance, my resources, the thing that feeds me and gives me strength spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically is to do the divine must is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, Jesus is saying that when I'm about my father's business, there is a strength that even supersedes physical food. Anybody ever fasted before? Anybody ever fasted, right? You've given yourself over to a fast. You've spent yourself in a season where you say, I'm going to devote this season to intentionally pursuing and seeking the heart of God in in, in an aggressive and an advanced and a concentrated manner. And once you get through that initial hurdle, that that one to two day hump where you just kind of get demon possessed, right? Once you you can pass through that, it's amazing. You find yourself doing all kinds of things with greater intention and greater purpose. And there is a strength that sustains and satisfies your body. Anybody ever touch this in, in your work? Anybody ever touch this in your relationship building? Anybody ever, um, maybe you've been on a mission trip, been on a mission trip and you're spent because you're going to bed late at night, you're waking up early at morning, your, your meals are scarce, and yet you're just giving yourself over to the work of God and you've never been more satisfied, never been more fulfilled, never been more energized in your entire life. Anybody ever experienced that before? That's what Jesus is talking about here. My food, there is a sustaining strength that comes when I'm giving myself over to the will of God. Amen? Amen. Living in harvest time, number three, look right here. Going back to John chapter four, 
Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. What I love about this is that Jesus initiates the interaction. Is that Jesus breaks the ice. And something that I don't think any of us have a paradigm for. Like I could try to explain it to you. And unless you've been into a Muslim culture, you probably just would not understand what I'm about to try to explain to you right now. But it was absolutely taboo for a man to speak to a woman in that culture, particularly in a one-on-one setting and particularly in public. I mean, we can argue right or wrong. I'm just talking about historically. I'm talking about culturally. I'm talking about for that geography and during that season of time, that it was absolutely almost borderline against the law for a man to talk with a woman and to initiate the conversation. Now, again, let's, let's, let's try to paint this picture as best as we possibly can here. So we know that there is a cultural and religious and racial divide between Jews and Samaritans, right? We now also see that there is a gender barrier. Okay, so much so that when Jesus' disciples come back, look right here at verse 27, John chapter 4, verse 27. His disciples go grab food. Jesus is in this holy conversation led by God. And his disciples come back in verse 27 and says his disciples return and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, not a Samaritan, with a woman. No one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They had enough trust in who their teacher was. They trusted his motives. They trusted his intentions. But their initial reaction is, Jesus, what are you doing? You're talking to a woman. What are you doing? This is our reputation that's on the line here. And here's what I love, you guys. That in this paradigm of harvest readiness, listen to this. Jesus doesn't have time to think about cultural appropriateness here. That Jesus pursues the marginalized at the expense of his own reputation. And guys, translate this and contextualize this however you want. In this hour rioters and protesters and people who sit on the other side of the aisle from us ideologically politically religiously sexually whatever the category is jesus throws that aside because the divine must tells him i've got to enter into a conversation here there's something that god is doing and i'm not going to allow these cultural exterior boundaries to prevent me from seizing an opportunity to tend to the opportunity of the moment and to win their heart over to God. And that takes skill and it takes wisdom and it takes discernment and it takes humility and it takes grace and it takes so many things. Jesus is operating here and he's saying, this this is a unique human being. This is a unique hour. I am here on a mission from God. And he enters into this conversation, completely breaking all the cultural rules. It's incredible. 
It's incredible. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how many opportunities are we missing because we're afraid of the social stigmas? How many opportunities are we missing because we are not initiating the conversation? And if we're sitting back saying, well, you know, if the other side really wants to know what I think, they'll ask me. Guys, we're missing opportunities. Jesus initiates. Jesus breaks the ice. Jesus starts the flow of the conversation going, not knowing where the conversation will go. And when you read the rest of the story, she goes, she goes historically, she hits social issues, she hits cultural stigmas, she starts getting theological. I mean, you, do, you, do, you just don't know. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of us stay away from these kinds of conversations, isn't it? We're just, we're just terrified about where the conversation is going to go. Friends, be at peace. Be at peace. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to follow that divine must and rely on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Here's the beautiful thing about this conversation. And I encourage you guys, read John chapter 4 when you get home. Read it every day this week. Let the Holy Spirit just unpack the layers of meaning that are in this story. But here's what happens. She starts hitting all these things. Her first answer right out the gates is, what are you doing talking to me? You are a man and I'm a Samaritan woman. You know this is wrong, right? That's her first shot across the bow. And Jesus is such a master, man. I, this is what I want. I yearn for this. Jesus is like, hey, listen, if you really knew the gift of God and who it was that's speaking to you, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. Huh? What? Well, what? Just totally, totally disarms. Totally doesn't, he doesn't combat. He, he, he invites her in. He whets her appetite. You guys remember several weeks ago, we talked about the universal themes of humanity. Remember that? Friends, listen, listen to that podcast. Think about it. Pray about it. This is the ammunition for spiritual conversation knowing that every human being all have similar things inside of us that we all long for intimacy we all long for connection we all long for purpose we all long to know and be known we all long. and jesus knew that he's like hey listen there's a deep gaping hole and so without saying it he's saying there's a deep gaping hole inside of you and i know i know how to satisfy the deepest deepest longings of your spiritual life and now all of a sudden her curiosity has peaked but here's the linchpin here's the linchpin I mean, they start talking history they start talking geography they start talking politics they start talking theology and then all of a sudden all of a sudden right right at the edge right at the edge she's ready Jesus says hey why don't you go and grab your husband we'll continue this conversation I just love this and you guys remember what she says I don't have a husband. Jesus kind of has, a, I think, a little glimmer in his eyes. Like, yeah, I know. In fact, you've had five. So think about this. Jew Samaritan, male, female. And now all of a sudden we have a woman who potentially has a very, very checkered past. Like the benefit of the doubt is that every one of these husbands has passed away and she's been a, a widow multiple times over. On the potentially negative side of the spectrum, She's just lived a very, very aimless life, right? And I think Jesus knew. Wherever she was, I think Jesus knew exactly what her story was. He says, go call your husband. Let's have that conversation. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know you've had five. How do you know that? How do you know this about me? 
And the one that you're living with now, he's not your husband. But here's the beautiful thing. You notice that Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't correct her. Jesus doesn't lay into her. He doesn't use moralism as a high ground. He doesn't start saying, well, now you know that if you know, he doesn't do any of that. He just throws it out there. He's baiting, man. He's just a, he's a master fisherman. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. She avoids the topic completely, but she's, she discerns something now. She said, I, I can see you're a prophet. I, I, I can see you know something about me that there's no way that you could have known. How did you know that? Jesus is being led by the Spirit of God. He transitions the playing ground from just intellectual, analytical facts and figures as good as those things are. And he shifts the playing ground over to where he has home court advantage. And the Spirit of God is telling me things about your life that I should not have any way of knowing. Friends, let me just tell you today, those of you guys who have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have the greatest advantage. You have the greatest advantage. You, you ever seen a Devil Wears Prada where, you know, you got Meryl Streep there and she's interacting with everyone. She's got that headpiece in there and you got Anne Hathaway back there going, okay, this is so-and-so. This is uh, where they're, I mean, it's like, we, we have that with the Holy Spirit. We have that. I'll never forget, I was in Ukraine speaking to a, a young Muslim man one time. We were on the streets. It was getting well, well late into the night. And the, theo the, the theological circle was just going round and round and round and round. Every scripture I'd bring up, he'd have a rebuttal. And I just, I felt the Holy Spirit inside of me said, son, ask him about his father. And I just said, okay. I just said, I said hey, man. I was like, tell me, tell me about your father. And dude... His whole countenance changed. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? And I began just by inspiration talking with him about the perfect love of a heavenly father and the goodness of God and how the father will never leave us or forsake us and how, his, how the heavenly father is proud of him. And he just began weeping and saying, how do you know these things about me? And I just said, son, I didn't say son, but I just said, friend, I said, friend, the Holy Spirit has shared these things with me for you, for now, for right now. Take the initiative. We're in harvest time. All right, here's the last point right here. Guys, here's how this story ends, which is amazing. Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman in the public by themselves, checkered past. And she comes right up to the edge and she discerns. There's something different about this guy. His disciples come back. She gets up, leaves her water jar, jar there, runs into the city. Now, remember, let's just assume hypothetically that she has a checkered pass and probably some people in the city know. So she's not someone who's got high level of influence, not a lot of, not a lot of prestige. She runs into the city. She discards all of that. And in the public square where all of the influencers and the officials and all the gatherers met there in the public square, she runs to them and she says, come and meet a man who has told me everything about my life. Could this be the one that we have been waiting for? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the son of God? Here's what Jesus tells his disciples. She's off evangelizing. 
Jesus tells his disciples, turn with me if you would right here in verse 35, John chapter four. He says to the disciples, don't you have a saying that it's still four more months until the harvest? And the nuances of that are actually Jesus is saying to them, this saying that you have is wrong. We got to evaluate the cultural cliches that we just use as kind of hollow scapegoats that allow us to continue on with our way of life and our way of thinking. Jesus presses into that and he says, you're saying, don't we have four more months until harvest? He says, this is wrong, guys. I tell you, look at this, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. Look at those three things right there. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Friends, in harvest season, my proposal to you, you know, some of you might be thinking, man, you preached a great message last week. Love brother, love neighbor, love enemy. How do we do that? Open your eyes. Ask God for that divine revelation. Ask God, am I getting entangled up with my own opinions? Am I getting entangled up with superficial arguments? Am I getting tangled up in the politics of the day? Am I getting entangled up with ideas and positions and thoughts that really have no bearing on life? Open my eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the opportunities. God, help me to see the opportunities that are before me today. Help me to see the opportunities that are before me with my coworkers. Help me to see the opportunities. Open my eyes to the needs that are around me. Guys, remember we opened up the service and we said that on any given day, the human beings that we are surrounded with, we have no idea the depth of, of their pain we have no idea the news that they just heard that morning. And just because someone is smiling and just because someone is the life of the party does not mean that on the inside they are eroding with grief and sorrow. Open my eyes to the needs that are around me. Open my eyes to the eternal value and worth of every person. Open my eyes to the hearts of the people that are around me. And then he says, look, look at the fields. Look at them. Look at them. Elliot, would you come on up, man, please? Guys, this is, uh, I said this last week. I said, here's the good news of all this, that this is impossible. It's impossible to love my brother and love my neighbor and love my enemy without the Holy Spirit abiding in me and without the grace of God empowering me. And, and personally, I, I think it's impossible to live with this unique awareness that we are living in harvest time. I think it's impossible because we're just so hooked by everything in our own internal world and in the external world around us. We need the grace of God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the heart of the Father compelling us. These are not things that we conjure up on our own. These are things that we come and we say, God, with open hands, would you open my eyes? Would you give me the ability to think and feel and hurt and love and pursue the world around me, the opportunities around me, the people that are around me. And so guys, today as we come to this table, we come recognizing, God, you, you pursued me at harvest time. Every single one of us are here as a result of some harvest season of our lives. Or at a given moment of history, our hearts were ready to say yes to Christ. Some of you this morning, you might be in a harvest season of your own life where you would say, man, I, I, I have felt alone, I have felt isolated, I have felt overwhelmed, overcome, but I feel like God is pursuing my heart and I wanna say yes, I wanna to respond to grace and I wanna to respond to his forgiveness and I wanna to respond to his invitation for life and for relationship. 
Some of you are here today and you're saying, I need that divine must in my life renewed where I live with purpose to pursue the people and the opportunities in the world around me. Wherever you're at today, I'm just asking that the Holy Spirit minister grace to you and speak to you, Father, today as we come and prepare our hearts to receive bread and wine, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ broken and shed for us. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would make the gospel plain and real to us. God, you created us for intimate fellowship and relationship with you and that by our own doing, we walked away from you. We chose our own way. We rebelled against you and sinned against you. We decided that our way was right and your way was wrong. But now today, we're hearing a message that Jesus in the season of harvest was sent from heaven to earth to live a sinless life, to reveal to us who the Father is and what the kingdom of God is really, really about. And then he laid his life down at the hands of murderous men who nailed him to a cross And that he took upon himself all of our guilt and all of our sin and all of our rebellion and all of our shame. And he just took that upon him on his death. But death could not hold him down. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, destroying the power of sin over our lives, inviting us into relationship with God, where we could have not only eternal life, but we could experience life now here on this earth. And today, God, we just say collectively, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Heal us of the disease of sin within us. Restore us into relationship with you. God, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. And we want to follow you as sons and daughters, not as outsiders, not as students. Lord, as sons and daughters who belong to your family. And in response to that, Jesus says, come to this table that I have prepared for you, which is my body broken for you, my blood shed for you to give you grace and life. Friends, would you stand this morning? Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.